STEM Conference presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with Reverend Dr. Gwendolyn Boyd for a conversation on the digital divide, the impact of access to technology on the education of minorities. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Reverend Dr. Gwendolyn Boyd. Reverend Dr. Boyd is an engineer and is described as a dynamic and relevant leader, a prolific motivational speaker, a powerful preacher, and a prominent advocate for STEM education. Boyd's professional career of more than three decades at the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory was highlighted by exemplary leadership and dedicated service as part of engineering teams. For her many and varied contributions to the community, Reverend Dr. Boyd has received numerous honors, awards, citations, commendations, and tributes. These include keys to the city from 38 cities and a declaration of Gwendolyn E. Boyd Day in 18 cities, just to name a few. Without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks so much for that introduction, Brandon. And Reverend Dr. Boyd, welcome to you as well. We are looking forward to an engaging conversation. And I gotta tell you, I'm particularly excited about this opportunity because it is not lost on me the many lifetimes of achievement and accolades that are covered in your CV. And I can't wait to dig in. How are you doing? I am doing great and excited for this conversation. Let's dig in. Uh, we know that we're going to talk about the digital divide, and my co-host Lango Dean is going to really investigate that with you in this conversation. But I have got to pause and reflect upon your beginnings. I look at your bio and know that you are a native of Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, also that you have one of these Renaissance backgrounds, not only science, but music and ministry. Can you give us a sense as to how all of that got stirred up in you? How did you get started on this path? Well, Mark, I'm again excited about being able to share on this podcast. Uh, I am from Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, there's been a lot of attention on Alabama with the passing of Congressman John Lewis and C.T. Vivian and uh, Reverend Joseph Lowry this year, and many others who have been a part of the civil rights movement that was my uh, growing up uh, in Montgomery as the, the seat of where all of these things uh, started. And I grew up in the projects, uh, whether you call it the projects, the ghetto, whatever, that side of town where people don't acknowledge your gifts and talents very much. Uh, but I always uh, had a curiosity for uh, so solving problems. I always loved math uh, and science. And, you know, when you're in that vein, especially as a young person, you get called names. Now I think it's nerd or whatever it is that people call you when you like science. Uh, and so I had to develop thick skin early on uh, in order to pursue those things that I enjoyed. 
uh, with music, I started playing the piano when I was six years old and started playing for my church. I played for the Sunday school until I then uh, graduated and then started playing for the choirs at church. And I actually was the musician at my church until I graduated from college. Uh, and I understood my relationship with God because my mother died when I was 13. And in the neighborhood where I grew up, I was not supposed to make it to 14 or any number after that. And certainly uh, God has blessed me to see a few more years beyond 13. And I know that it was the grace of God and the mercy of God and the hand of God that has connected the dots in my life to allow me to move from that place in the projects where no one believed in me to a place where I was able to pursue those things that I wanted to do. And so uh, it, it is exciting to be able to tell the story, but to connect others to their spiritual journey, to know that it doesn't really matter where you start, but if you believe in yourself and you honor God in your life, that God will walk you through those paths and through those people and through those doors that you don't even see. Uh, I had an opportunity to attend undergraduate school at Alabama State on a full scholarship. Uh, again, from the, my neighborhood, they hardly graduated from high school, but they definitely did not pursue college. So to be able to go to college and to have a full scholarship, I know it was God. And then when I uh, finished my undergraduate work at Alabama State, I was offered a full fellowship to attend Yale University to pursue me mechanical engineering. Again, knowing that there was no money in this household to even think about going to a place called Yale, uh, that God opened that door. And so it, it means that for all of us, we have to understand that uh, God will open the door if we present ourselves uh, as, as obedient servants and say, you know, whatever it is, God, that you want me to do, I will do it. And so I'm grateful for every opportunity that I've had uh, to pursue math, science, engineering. When I was at Yale, I was one of 25 in the cohort that was entered that year. And I was the only female and one of five Americans who were in that cohort. Uh, and so, uh, again, uh, I was the first African-American female to graduate from Yale uh, with a master's degree in mechanical engineering. So, again, graduating with no debt, that's nothing but God. And so, again, I, I uh, am never ashamed. I never pull back from acknowledging that God has directed my path and allowed me to pursue all of the things as a well-rounded person. Some people think that you can't. Uh, be spiritual, you do, do science or pursue music. But God said to me, I gave you all of that talent. So I want you to pursue everything that I put in front of you. And I tried to do it uh, to the best of my ability. Wow. I don't believe that in all the weeks that we've been doing these podcasts that I've ever had uh, the opportunity to listen to someone and be grateful that I could not be seen because I'm about to run around this office. <laughs> That's such a powerful testimony. Uh, and it's one that is so important to share. When you think about the, the 
background with math and then the double minor in physics and music and then you go on to mechanical engineering in graduate school i think it's important for us to uh, understand here on high tech sunday that that's not normal um uh going from math especially to engineering but like you said it was clearly uh the plan of god and the grace of god but your passion has to play a role. And, and so when you think about how passion has shown up on your journey, especially early on as you were pursuing these credentials academically, where'd that passion come from? Well, uh, again, I'm grateful um, that I knew I, what I liked to do and I had no role models. I didn't know any engineers, had never met an engineer in my life. Again, I grew up in the project, so engineers did not live there. Uh, and, and growing up in Montgomery, Alabama, the Deep South was not a place where young black girls uh, found role models in science. And in fact, uh, at, uh, when I, especially when I talk to young people, many of those, uh, and again, you gotta remember, this is the Deep South, told me, that you need to find something else to pursue uh, because black girls don't do math. But God whispered in my ear and said, you will. And so my response always was, well, this black girl will do math because it excited me. It was something that you know charged my batteries. Uh, history is nice and, and I'm not saying anything about history majors, but you know, when it came to history, it was a nice thing to do. But when you gave me a problem to solve, I got excited and would go to the moon. So I knew that whatever my career path was going to be, it had to have something associated with solving problems and with, with math. And again, uh, not having met anyone, I just read about you know, things that, that engineers did or physicists did and scientists did and said, this is, this is what I want to pursue. So the curiosity, was implanted in me, again, by grace and mercy. But the, the drive and the determination was, uh, again, a gift from God to say, don't let anybody tell you what you can or cannot do. Don't let anybody put you in a box and say, just because you're a black girl from the South, that you can't do uh, math or engineering or anything else that you want to do. And I say that to young people today because there's Still people who are trying to put young black people and especially young black girls in a box and say you need to find something else to do and you need to do something different but we have to stand flat-footed and say this is what I want to do this is what I'm capable of doing this is what I'm equipped to do my grades certainly just demonstrated that I would always get all A's in, in all of my math courses uh, I was valedictorian at my high school and all, you know, all of those things just confirmed to me that math and science and engineering was where I needed to be. That is such a powerful testimony, Dr. Boyd. And it is inspirational, not just for the young, but those who are a little less young these days. It's a great reminder about how it is that God, by his grace, will absolutely guide your steps as you yield to him. 
I'm going to hand off to uh, my co-host in just a moment, but one last question for this segment, and that's about where you landed. Uh, you found yourself at Johns Hopkins in the Applied Physics Lab, and you were there at Johns Hopkins for quite a while. Can you highlight for us what led you to the Applied Physics Lab, and what is a highlight that stands out from that really long tenure at that institution? Well, I, I have to say I had a wonderful, wonderful, extraordinary career uh, at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. I had never heard of the Applied Physics Laboratory before uh, signing up to, to be an intern. Uh, I did my inter uh, summer internship between graduating from Alabama State and going to graduate school at Yale. So during that summer, uh, I was able to uh, live in the DMV, uh, find out what Hopkins and the Applied Physics Laboratory, otherwise known as APL, uh, was all about. Uh, I was able to learn about career opportunities there. And so when I graduated from Yale, called back to, to them, uh, and uh, I actually applied for a job at, at IBM, no bad-mouthing IBM, but it just didn't work. Uh, and so after a few months, I called uh, APL back and said, that position you, you offered me, is it still open? And of course, they said yes. And 34 years later, uh, I was able to, to retire from there, uh, having done a lot of great things. Uh, a few of the highlights, uh, I, for the first part of my career, I worked on nuclear submarines. Now, okay, again, going back to the fact that I'm from Alabama, and we don't have submarines in Alabama. So I never, never seen one, never worked on one and had to go to sub training school and figure out all the things that were appropriate in doing that work. And the very first time I went on board uh, to go out to sea for one of our, our uh, exercises, uh, the, I could tell that the young men who were there were not understanding why I was there. And you know, with, have you seen the movies? Uh, submarines are generally all men. So I was the only woman on board, and I think there were only about two other black people on board as well. And so they finally, uh, one of the young men got the nerve to come up to me and, and said to me, um, ma'am, are you lost? I said, young man, it took two security clearances just to get on this base. It took three security clearances for me to get into this space. Do you really think I'm lost? <laughs> and so again, understanding and knowing that this is where I'm supposed to be and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And we had wonderful conversations from that point on and the many years and the many subs that I, I rode on and had an opportunity to do exercises with. Um, but again, saying to our young people, you have to know that you belong. And some people may question whether or not this is the space you're supposed to be in, this is the career you're supposed to be pursuing, this is the work you're supposed to be doing. But if you know you're qualified and you know you've done the background, you've done the work, uh, you've prepared yourself, don't let anybody put doubt in your mind that that's where you belong. So in addition to the, the work that I did with, with submarines, about uh, halfway through my career, the president of the university, who at that time was Bill Brody, uh, said to me, because I've been on several committees, uh, we need to work on some issues of diversity here at Hopkins. 
And uh, he said, you know, we need to set up something so that we can have some real discussions. So he established the Diversity Leadership Council, and I was one of the first members uh, on the council in um, 96, and, um, and then became the chair in uh, 2000, and was the chair until I left in, uh, the, at the end of 2013. So, uh, but that gave me an opportunity to be uh, a part of the grassroots operations of opening the doors of Hopkins to uh, minorities, women, others who wanted to pursue careers there. Uh, we set up opportunities for uh, interviewing uh, those who were coming in as professors uh, and those who were coming in even in, in higher positions to make sure that they were given a consideration for opportunities. And so again, it spread throughout Hopkins, all the divisions of Hopkins, including medical school and uh, international studies in DC, that every, every branch of Hopkins had a, a diversity, a member of the Diversity Leadership Council. And so uh, again, having, uh, when uh, Dr. Brody left and Ron came on board, he said, uh, Bill Brody told me, you have to stay in this slot. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was able to work uh, with Rod after that. But that, again, gave me an opportunity to do some transformational work at Hopkins in the area of diversity and inclusion. So I had a, a great career full of excitement and working with some wonderful people. You have to know that this is the space you belong in. That's a powerful headline right there. And the transformational work that you mentioned certainly is a legacy that continues to be built upon today. I am happy to have the opportunity to co-host these podcasts with CCG's own Lango Dean. And so I'm happy to bring her into the conversation at this time. Hey, Lango. Hi, Dr. Vaughn. Thanks again. Thank you, Dr. Boyd. It's, uh, it's uh, lovely to have you here today. Um, I was listening to a story that you told about the uh, just the usual stuff that you have as a, as a woman when you people think you're in the wrong place. And here you are, you know, in, in my, my language, I'd call you a submarine designer, or at least someone who worked closely with people who designed submarines. And here you are, and someone's wondering, you know, what exactly you were doing there. And I connect that to what you're doing, that transformation that uh, Dr. Vaughn talked about, where you have served as chair of Career Communication Group's uh, alumni group. And as you know, this group consists of award winners from uh, Bayer, from Women of Color, and uh, from the CCG Hall of Fame. And our privilege is to talk to people like you. And recently, we were working on the Centennial Seven. Of course, you know who they are. These are the first African-American men who served as submarine commanders within the, the last 100 years. So I know you know those men. So it's that privilege of talking to someone like you who worked on those submarines and having access to the men who actually um, manned those submarines and, and, and cap commanded those submarines. So it's just fantastic. Well, moving along now to what you do as chair and to our subject today, which is um, the digital divide, I must tell you what my favorite, favorite covers is the 1989 cover of U.S. Black Engineer Magazine. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but if you haven't, Ha take a look at it. Um, 
it's got this big bold headline digital divide no room for blacks we have a family uh, young people and a mother and they're holding on to this perimeter fence pretty graphic but the point we were trying to make and and there's the subhead that says are we being locked out of technology and guess what this came out in august of 1989 here we are more than 30 years later how do you comment well uh thank you lango for that question and that intro from august 89 to august 2020 the divide is real and it's still present uh because when we talk about what the digital divide really is and i I think uh, Webster gives us a, a really good uh, definition. Uh, Miriam Webster says the digital divide is the economic, educational, and social inequalities between those who have computers and online access and those who do not. Uh, and so I think as we as we look at that as the the focus for uh, what we're, we're talking about today, this COVID nineteen coronavirus has really exposed uh, the digital divide in our communities. When we think about the fact that uh, there was an immediate halt to school in around March, uh, when young people were sent home and told they would have to do the rest of their work from home uh, and to over uh, with their computers and uh, communicating with their instructors, we found out that there's a tremendous number of young people, especially African-American students, who did not have access to computers. And if they had access to a computer, a tablet, or maybe even a cell phone, some of them did not have Wi-Fi at home. Uh, and so therefore, trying to make sure that they would log on daily to be in communication with their instructor, uh, to get the, their lessons for the day, to turn in their homework, that was not happening in the Black community. And so again, this COVID-19 has pulled back the, the curtain to say that the digital divide is still real in 2020. And so again, we, we must talk about uh, what we can do as a part of this community to make sure that our young people don't get left behind. Uh, we, we think about the fact that uh, many of, uh, when we're talking about the, the connection to our community, uh, many have, of our churches have been giving away food and um, clothing to help people make it from day to day. But in 2020, technology is also an essential element for success, not only for our young people, but for all the, those who are part of our community, from pre-K to post-doc. Every edu uh, uh, learner needs access to technology. Uh, and then we think about the fact that also within our community, our, our seniors and those who attend church activities uh, uh, were, have to have access to computers to be able to go to church uh, because all of our churches are closed. And they, uh, if you want to attend the service, you have to do it online. So everything is connected now to technology and we're seeing that there is a gap between those who have technology and those who don't. I, I was reading a, a story about a young person who did not have um, a computer at home, but needed to turn in his homework. So he had to write out the assignment, 
write his answers uh, to the question that he got over a cell phone and then take a picture of it to send it back to his teacher. So again, we're looking at the shortcomings of not having technology in our homes and in our communities. And that is a major problem for us still in 2020. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, Reverend Dr. Gwen Boyd. This week's episode is brought to you by the 2020 Women of Color STEM Conference. And now, a word from our sponsor. From waves of change come oceans of opportunities. This has always been our Women of Color STEM Conference message and mission. Now more than ever, we are expanding our rich history and track record of hosting live streamed award shows and interviews, virtual job fairs, learning and networking experiences to complement our on-site events. We're primed and ready to respond to the challenges from COVID-19 as we reset to rise at our 2020 Women of Color Hybrid STEM Conference on October 8th through the 10th. The world is counting on us. Come ride the waves of change as you explore our limitless oceans of opportunities that can enrich, inspire, connect, and support your continued professional and personal growth that have always been the hallmarks of our women-driven conference. Together, we can help our nation's industries, government, academia, and the military reset, reinvent, and re-energize. Whether you experience our 2020 Women of Color Hybrid STEM Conference in person or in the comfort of your homes or offices, our physical and digital worlds are coming together in a new direction with an innovative conference platform. Take advantage of distance learning with more expansive seminars and continuing education credits. Attend our job fair in person or virtually. Experience the unmatched expertise of women leaders through invaluable training sessions. Be entertained at our awards events and much more. As always, you belong here within our trusted community. Ride the waves of change as we reset to rise. The world is counting on us. Again, this episode of High Tech Sunday is brought to you by the 2020 Women of Color STEM Conference. Now, back to the show. Thank you, Dr. Boyd. You frame the problem, and sometimes people who, um, it's like the discussion we have over so many issues. It's like you say one thing and somebody else comes up with another slogan, and then it just goes on like that. And th there seems to be no meeting of minds as to the facts. Can you lay out the facts again for us? I mean, people say, well, everyone has a cell phone. How could there be a digital divide? Well, there is. 
could you just tell us again why there is a digital divide and then we'll go on to what people can do about it well uh, thank you lango i think the the issue is access to a cell phone when you're talking about uh education uh having uh the opportunity to hear your instructor and to to see the information that you need to access to learn whatever course you're taking, and then to be able to do your work uh, and respond to the assignment that you've been given. Think about doing that on a cell phone versus doing that on a tablet or Chromebook or a laptop. Uh, so having a cell phone allows you uh, to communicate, absolutely. But even in that, all all, all of our young people uh, or all in our community don't have access to cell phones. So it is about the access to technology, which is a, a tremendous deficit. If you think about the fact in, in our communities, uh, people use their, their cell phones as their bank for uh, you know, keeping up with their, their bank account or you know, paying you know, PayPal and all the other things and devices, Grubhub to get food. We use our cell phones for all of those things uh, as, a, as a part of the community. But when you're talking about uh, providing homeschooling for our young people and uh, access to your doctor for some of our seniors who can't get to their doctors, you need the, the uh, capabilities of a laptop or even a desktop or a larger device with more capability to be able to communicate effectively uh, in, in that arena. So uh, yes, some in some communities, everybody has a cell phone. Uh, when you travel abroad, a lot, lot of people have cell phones. But you think about the utility of that device. Cell phones are generally made for those conversations, but not for educating our young people. And again, we've seen that as we try to provide computers and Chromebooks and tablets uh, to our young people so that they could learn their assignments and get their uh, assignments turned back into their, uh, their teacher for uh, the appropriate grading. And so I, again, I, I think there is a difference when you're talking about the device that's being used to provide education and the device that's being used to communicate uh, back and forth with one another. Thank you so much, Dr. Boyd. Thank you for breaking that down and, and pointing out the differences in, in, in the capacity of various devices that we all have in our hands and in our homes. Um, so your powerful leader within the Career Communications Group alumni community, which is the community that this podcast uh, speaks to, to to a great extent, um, to Bea and to the Women of Color uh, Conference, which is coming up in about 70-something uh, days in Detroit, uh, Michigan. Um, I wondered if you, as this leading person in this community of a shared voice around this critical importance of STEM education, what are you doing to make a difference? Well, I think part of it is this podcast. Uh, People are able to have an impact when they understand the issue and know that everybody can do something. Uh, all of us can't be the billionaires like um, uh, Mackenzie Scott, who just gave $1.7 billion to our HBCUs. All of us are billionaires, 
but we appreciate what a person like Mackenzie Scott has done to affect education for HBCUs and for the young people who will be attending those schools. When we look at opportunities to give back, uh, we see people like Robert Smith, uh, a billionaire who paid off the student loans of those students at, at Morehouse. And certainly we applaud his contribution to those young people and his establishment of a foundation uh, to help young people go to college and get a quality education. But all of us are not billionaires, but we also need to understand that all of us can do something. And uh, collectively, as Bayer alumni, as women of color alumni, we are connected to some of the most powerful organizations in this country. And as long as we understand what the issues are, then we can have access to those who are controlling the purse strings, so to speak, to say that some of your funding uh, needs to go into impoverished communities where Wi-Fi really doesn't exist where young people don't have access to computers. And so again, it is up to us who know what the issues are and who have access, who have the ear of those with the money to make a difference, to bring that to light so that we can have an impact, a transformational impact in our communities. And again, for, for our organizations, when they're looking for a place to donate, uh, our community-based organizations, United Way and some of the others, Boys and Girls Club, when they're looking for an opportunity, we sit on a lot of those boards and we can let people know, here is where you can truly make a difference. Access to technology will be the defining issue for this generation and all of those that will come after it. But it means that we have to speak up wherever we are allowed to be in whatever room we're allowed to be in, whatever table we're allowed to sit at, to say, these are the issues, and here is how you can make a positive difference. Thank you, Dr. Boyd. Now, I must ask you, we're not in the business of fear-mongering, not in that business at all. We're about positivity, we're about solutions, but what if we do nothing? What if we say nothing? What happens then? If we do nothing and if we say nothing, first of all, shame on us. Because many of us who are in whatever positions we are in or who have had careers or are still in careers got here because somebody spoke up for us to be where we are today. So shame on us if we are not leaving the door open for the next generation to have even more access than we did so that they can have wonderful and powerful uh, careers. Uh, but what, what can we do? Uh, we, we can, first of all, be those role models for young people because still in this day and time, many young people have, have not met uh, engineers or scientists or uh, even sometimes doctors who look like them. And we need to make sure that we share with them as much as we can about opportunities that are available to them. If we don't speak up, that means that they won't have access to the tools of their generation. You know, uh, we, we, had, um, we, we didn't have, again, when I was growing up, certainly we didn't have all of these computers, 
But now young people must have them. They must have access to technology. They, they, uh, it, it is not a nice to have, it is a must to have. And so we need to make sure that we are providing them with all the tools. We had pen and paper uh, generations ago. Now, young people need access to tablets, Chromebooks, laptops, desktop, and all the things that they need to get their assignments done. Just look at what's happened in COVID-19, when young people were sent home and had no way of getting their homework. So they had to either go to the library, and sometimes the libraries were closed, uh, or if they had one computer at home, and let's say there are three children there, how are you going to share the time with three, uh, three young people trying to get work done on one computer? Access to technology is essential in this generation so that they can understand and get their, their assignments done, get their work done, and pass to the next grade, uh, get ready for college, uh, you know, whatever it is that they're going to do in their life. But, but again, technology access is not a nice to have. It is an essential to have in this generation. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Boyd. I am going to step back and hand you over to my co-host, Dr. Bourne. Looking forward to hearing what you're going to be doing uh, at the uh, Women of Color Conference as the uh, chair of the Career Communications Group Alumni Group. Thank you again, Dr. Boyd. Over to you, Dr. Vaughn. Thanks so much, Lango. This has been absolutely riveting to listen to the ideas about how all of us have a role to play in closing the digital divide. So Dr. Boyd, if I can impose upon you, let's continue uh, along those lines. You started touching on the fact that not all of us are billionaires and uh, or millionaires. Uh, not all of us have platforms that we can speak on like from this podcast, but all of us can do something. And so I'm reflecting upon the history that you alluded to earlier uh, regarding Montgomery, Alabama, and it being kind of that seat of the civil rights movement in many ways. We know that the church had an historically important role to play. So as you are not only a STEM advocate, but a minister, what are your thoughts around what the church should be doing or could be doing to help close this gap? It's a great, great question. Uh, we know that the, our houses of worship are generally the seat of our communities. Uh, we look at every community, uh, there is somewhere on a corner or in the neighborhood, a house of worship. And many of us are a part of that. And as that house of worship has been established in that community, they also know something about that community. And so I, I think it is important for us who are members uh, and even for those who don't go on a regular basis, but know that this is, this is where things happen. Again, you talked about um, or you know, uh, alluded to what happened in Montgomery. Uh, Dr. King was a pastor at Dexter Avenue, and that's where people were able to meet and convene and talk about how things were going to go forward. Yes, Rosa Parks got things started by refusing to give up her seat, but for three, 370 days, a year and five days, 
because they operated as a collective and wanted things to change in the community, people did not ride the buses. And so it made a tremendous difference economically, but it also spoke to the power of working together. And so again, it started, it started in the church. That's where all the messages were received. That's where the meetings were held. And in that day and time, that's where the community leaders were inside the church. And so again, maybe not in 2020, all of our leaders are from the church, but all of our leaders must have a moral obligation to transform our communities and make them better. And so we see that uh, our, our churches must understand the plight of the people who are part of their congregation. And as I said, for example, with my church, our people, people need food. When they have no jobs, uh, they've been laid off, they need food, their families need food. So providing food is important, providing clothing is important, but also trying to find out how as a house of worship in this community, can we get Wi-Fi connectivity to the young people who are trying to do their homework? Uh, again, with, with, with Alfred Street, they adopted uh, a school uh, and gave each of those young people a laptop. And I know if they wrote, uh, they write grants and uh, they were able to get some of them donated, but that, those are the kinds of creative things that we have to do uh, as the, uh, the body of Christ, uh, as those who believe that it is our responsibility to reach a hand and make sure we bring somebody up and bring somebody along. So uh, again, when we can write uh, grants, uh, proposals together with uh, other nonprofit organizations to make sure we identify the need and then understand how to meet that need in our community and talk to the people who are part of your congregation. We can't operate in isolation and tell people you know, what they need. Let the people tell you what they need. But I think, again, it's so important for us to work together, to use all the resources available to us, uh, not only to provide education, but also to make sure that we are doing what is necessary for every generation, because this is an intergenerational issue. Uh, young young people from again from pre-K when they when they start learning how to put things together, they're doing it on a tablet. They're playing with their their mom or dad's tablet, so they they are familiar with uh, computers and technology very early on. Uh, and then moving to the to the other end of the spectrum with our seniors, helping them to understand online banking or online uh, care from your physician, or how to uh, you know, FaceTime with your grandkids who are in another state. All of those things are part of our daily lives. It's a, it contributes to uh, moving us to a higher level of, of being able to stay connected. And this uh, COVID-19 and coronavirus situation has shown us that, that we've been able to stay connected because of technology, but those who have fallen behind are those who have not had access to technology. And we've seen that uh, in a live basis each and every day. So it is part of our responsibility to bring all of these resources to our community, to every single household. If we give so, uh, a young person a, a Chromebook or a tablet or a laptop, 
but they don't have Wi-Fi in the house, then what, what use is it? So we also have to give them that hotspot so that they can use the laptop and use the uh, Chromebook and, and, and so forth. So again, we need to be aware of the totality of the problem, the totality of the issue, and know that if we work together, combine our resources, and work with other community groups, we don't have to do it alone. We can work with other churches and others who, are care, who care about the community. We can make a tremendous difference. You sound, Dr. Boyd, like uh, in this unprecedented, unlikeliest of times, you, you almost sound hopeful right there. So let me ask you, uh, is there an upside to this pandemic? Is there a silver lining? Is, is there a hope that you're seeing and uh, you really are trusting that by God's grace, it will actually be realized? What's your hope in all of this? Well, I, I think you just said it. I do trust God in all situations. Romans 8 and 28 says to us, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so all of us here, every, each and every one of us has a purpose and a plan. And you grow muscles when you have to use them. If you're just sitting still, you don't, you don't develop muscles. But when you've got to try to climb a mountain or climb out of a, a, a place where you didn't think you would be, uh, using those muscles will show you what's inside of you that you didn't even know was there. And so the hope is that we will develop our spiritual muscles, our community muscles, our connectivity muscles, the muscles that will allow us to transform our communities because we're working together, because we see what's happening and we know that we can make a difference. So the hope is there. The resources are there. The people are there. The willpower is there. And we just have to put it together and make it happen. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing because otherwise, if we continue to move on with businesses as usual, we would have never realized some of the issues that are still a part of our community. But now that we're aware of them, we can't push them back. We can't hide them again. We have to move forward and say, I realize this is happening and alone I can't do it or you know this one organization can't but if we combine our resources we can make a difference for a young young person in elementary school right now so that 12 years or 15 years from now they become an outstanding doctor or an astronaut or uh, you know some someone in in a stem field because we provided for them the tools that they needed to be successful in 2020 as a part of this uh, COVID-19 issue. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful and I'm excited for where we're going to come out on the other side. We don't know what the new normal is going to look like, and it's not going to be normal because normal is yesterday. But we're going to walk into this new frame of mind. We're going to walk into a new dispensation. We're going to walk into a new place with new strength, with new energy, with new enthusiasm, because we've seen what we can do. We've seen what we had to do in COVID-19. 
because of the coronavirus, we've made some adjustments. We've had to be flexible. We've done some things that we never thought we'd be able to do. But because it was in front of us and it was a part of our lives, we did it. And so we will take that same energy and enthusiasm and innovative uh, thoughts. We will use that and be those who will help the generation coming behind us, just like somebody reached back to help us get where we are today. We are those who are called, commissioned, and compelled to reach back for the generation now so that they can fly past us and do great things in the years to come. Thank you so much. Called, commissioned, and compelled. Dr. Boyd, you have inspired us, you have informed us, you have challenged us. Uh, in short, you took us to church here on High Tech Sunday, and uh, we are so grateful uh, for those inspirational words. And uh, we are glad to know uh, that your journey, your leadership, your advocacy continues. Thank you so much for spending time with us on today's edition. I'm going to hand it back to Brandon for our conclusion. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.